0: 13 So, grab your Bibles and follow along or follow along on the screen there and I'll be reading from the New King James Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 13 finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take with the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Good morning. We are thankful for each one who's here with us this morning. We've been going through the book of Ephesians, and today it brings us to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll be focusing really from verse 10 uh, through about verse... uh, through the the whole armor of God here, beginning in verse 10, really going through uh, to about verse 17 and 18 here, looking at the armor that God provides. But as we think about the armor of God yeah I, I enjoy watching war movies and watching documentaries about different wars over the years and because uh, I kind of like to see some of the things that went into it don't get me wrong I certainly enjoy all the battle scenes and those types of things but um uh, what's interesting to see is some of the things that those individuals had to endure and the bravery, bravery which they had to have I remember one particular show I was watching and I've seen it several times but uh, it was during the First war, uh, World War, and they were getting ready to, they were paratroopers, they were getting ready to board the plane and go overseas and be dropped literally into German territory. Well, before they could do that, they had to uh, gather stuff together, and they had so much stuff. Remember, they had a backpack, and of course, they had their weapons and things, so they had this massive pack, and this man was talking to another soldier and saying, oh, I have this, I have this, 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 and lists off ten or twelve things, he says, this thing is, he said, I'm going to weigh 100 pounds more after I put this thing on. I'm almost to stand up with this thing. Well, And so they, they put their packs on, and they're sitting down, and the captain was talking to them, and as they got ready to board the plane, of course he wanted to greet them all one by one, he literally had to grab their hand and pull them up so they could stand up and then get onto the plane. But the reason they did that, or at least the reason the government wanted them to wear all that, is because they wanted them to be prepared for the things which they may be facing. Now, As Brother Chris read a moment ago, looking at why the Christian armor is necessary, we first want to begin here just a moment, we're going to back up in just a second, looking at the text he read a moment ago there in Ephesians chapter 6, looking at the necessity of the Christian armor. Why do we have to have that armor in the first place? Well, like we just heard there, we, we go back to verse 10. The Apostle Paul speaking, he says, Follow my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Make no mistake, we do not have the armor of God. We will not be strong or uh, mighty in the power of the Lord. We will not have all, everything the Lord will want us to have. He says in verse 11, he says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And he says, talks about how, they don't, how we do not fight against basically uh, physical things. He says flesh and blood, but against what? He says, he summarizes there in the end of verse 12, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. He talks about how the war which we are fighting is one that is spiritual in nature. He says in verse 13, "...therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand." Now, I thought I think about there for just a moment. He says in verse 13, "...withstand in the evil day." I don't really think he's talking about just one simple day. I really think the idea is that we are able to withstand in the evil days in which we face as a Christian. When we face hardship, when we face temptation... We face persecution, we face ridicule, that when we are armed with the armor of God, when we are having those things in our lives and they are part of who we are, we are able, as he says there in verse 13, to withstand in those times. That we are able to stand up and to endure those difficult times. As we begin this morning by looking at the armor of God, we first want to notice the armor that we're talking about is one that's designated for the Christian. Not everyone will have this armor available to them because they are not a Christian. Paul, remember, here is talking to those who are those who have obeyed the gospel. Those who, who are have obeyed the gospel and put their obedient faith in Christ are able to put on this armor. But it is exclusive to them only. I remember once I saw a movie where man had a it may have been like a 007 type of thing, but it wasn't a James Bond name. Anyway, he had a gun that if anyone else grabbed the gun, had a finger uh, you know, print type thing, If he want to have the gun, they picked it up, they couldn't shoot it because it was embedded and set just for him. The Christian armor is the same way. If anyone else tries to pick it up, they can't. It's designated only for the Christian. The worldly person, the ungodly person, the person who never obeyed the gospel, does not have this attributed to them. Looking with me is the name of the Christian armor. We first begin by thinking about how important it is to be girded in truth. We look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verse 14. He says, Stand therefore, having girded your, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having girded your waist. This idea of girded means it keeps everything in place. And it begins with being girded, having this so you can have everything in place. The truth keeps all part of the Christian armor in place. The truth, as we know, is found in God's Word, right? We, are, we begin with this. It's going to keep everything else in place. Looking to Ephesians 1, and verse 13, it says, "...in Him you also trusted, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise." It begins with what? It begins with keeping the truth in our lives. The truth keeps everything in place. You notice there, he says, girded in truth, or we are bound in truth. The truth keeps everything where it belongs. If everything we do in life is not bound and kept together by the truth of the gospel, by the truth of God's word, we we can expect everything to fall apart at any moment. But when we are girded in truth, it will keep everything in its place. The truth is also spoken in order to withstand false doctrine, to understand false to to be able to understand the false, deceptive, and destructive doctrines and destructive ideas of men. Looking at Ephesians chapter four, verse fifteen, he says, As speaking the truth and love may grow up in him all thanks in him who is the head, Christ. When we have the truth, which we are to be that is what to be around us, right? Which means it's it's the base of who we are. It's where everything begins in truth. And he says, speaking the truth. In love so that we can build up from there. We know from Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 21 that Christ, we could say, is the one who embodies truth. Ephesians 4 verse 21, Indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Christ is truth. He tells us he is the way, the truth, and the life. We are what? We are girded in truth, which means we are in Christ. Therefore, the armor, the first step is what? Involving being in Christ. Therefore, nothing else can possibly be put on. And if we first put on truth, that's only in Christ. That's when we say the armor, it's just for the Christian, because you can't put on the first layer before you put on anything else. It must be that which is in truth, which is only found in Christ. We are to be girded in truth. Next, we talk about the breastplate of righteousness. In Ephesians chapter 6, again, looking back at verse 14 in Ephesians 6, he says, Standing, having your, standing, therefore, uh, standing therefore, having girded your, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of the first century soldier was, divide, was designed to fit over the chest and abdomen and to protect many of the vital organs. It was, the, without doubt, the largest piece of the armor. They cover up your entire chest. Bow from your neck, bow down to about your, your waist to your hips is where that would reach. A large piece. And it was designed to protect you. Can you imagine a Roman soldier going out into battle without having that breastplate on? You know what they'd call him? Target. That's what they'd call him. Because an enemy soldier saw someone without a breastplate on, they're saying, there's an easy one. And so what do we do? We come out prepared with the breastplate of righteousness, being that second piece which we are to have on. Righteousness is uprightness of life, moral integrity, which results from being faithful, having that faithful obedience to God's commands. Looking at Psalm 119. Uh, That's the wrong verse there. But Psalm 119, verse 172, it says, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. All your commandments are righteousness. We are to be one who has that righteousness that protects us from the fiery darts of the wicked one. Without that breastplate, we, we will definitely be at great risk. The man who does righteousness is righteous, which is easy to understand. First John chapter 3, looking at verse 7 and also verse 10. He says, little children, let no one, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. If you want to be righteous, you gotta be righteous things. If you want to be good, you gotta do good things. No one says that person is a good well, we shouldn't say. We sometimes say that person is a good person, and we know we know that person doesn't do anything that's right or good or wholesome or pleasing in the sight of God. So why don't we say that? To make themselves feel better. But we find here in verse 3 or verse 7 rather, what does he say? He who practices righteousness is righteous. If you want to be righteous, you gotta do righteous things, which is talking about doing things that are pleasing the sight of God. If you want to be a Christian, What does the Bible tell us? You have to actually live like one, right? Words are not enough. Words are never enough. Looking at verse 10. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. That is, they are revealed. Who belongs to God who belongs to the devil? They are revealed how? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That is, they are not a Christian. Nor is he who does not love his brother. If we say we are a Christian, what do we have to do? Well, we have to live like it. We have to obey the Word of God continually, not just a one-time act as we find from Revelation 2 and verse 10. Instead, we are told to be faithful unto death, which means to cost you your life you don't walk away from God. Think about that for a moment. Is it man or is it God who walks away? We've talked about this numerous times before. God has never walked away from the faithful. The psalmist bears out, he says, he has been young, he has been old, but he has not seen a righteous forsaken, which means he has never seen God walk away from a righteous person, which tells us that someone is doing a righteous thing just because they have walked away from God. The preparation of the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6 and verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and as you cover your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, you are prepared with the gospel. The feet of the Christian soldier are covered by preparation. We are prepared for what's going to face us. It's interesting when people talk about how they're prepared for things. When something begins, they realize, oh wait a second, I'm not really ready after all. Someone goes out on a football field and they think they're ready They realize, oh, I have my mouthpiece. So well, they do, they run back and they get it. You never see a person line up on a football field, a line of scrimmage with a helmet on, because what's going to happen? They're saying you're not ready. We need to be ready. We need to be prepared for what we're going to face in this life. If you think we have nothing to, to, to worry about, turn on your television. It'll take about 30 seconds. You'll find we have plenty of things to worry about. We go out to our communities. We see how people are living, how they're acting, how they're talking to one another. We have plenty of things to be prepared for. We must be prepared. And our, the preparation begins with the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verse 13. He says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. How are we prepared for what we're going to face? We obey the gospel. That's how we're prepared. If we haven't obeyed the gospel, we're never going to be prepared. We're prepared with the truth. We are armed with the salvation that God has given us with the hope of having heaven as our home. In order to withstand, the Christian must prepare and be ready to preach or to teach the gospel. We have opportunities to rise, and we've been talking about this on Wednesday night, that we take those opportunities. When we see a teaching moment, we use it. We use it in love, but we use it to help others understand what God actually desires from us. We understand the world recognizes today as, quote-unquote, Easter, but we know the Lord's Church and the Bible tells us that we are to remember Christ's death, burial, and resurrection every Lord's Day. And we do that and we partake of the Lord's Supper, don't we? We remember why Christ went to the cross. We remember how he died on that cross and how he was buried and how he was raised three days later. Because if he didn't do even one of those things, there would be no hope of heaven. That's why we remember it every Lord's Day. Not just once a year, but every Lord's Day. Because when we do that, we remember what what the Lord has done for us. That, too, helps us be prepared for what we're going to face because we are reminded whose side we are on. And we are on the Lord's side, or we should be. Next, we take the shield of faith, Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verse 16. He says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. All the fiery darts. you ever watch of those old movies about uh, those who, who fought and lived during the time period of literal bows and arrows and all those types of things? You literally would have to have that shield to protect yourself. Well, today, it hasn't changed that much, but our shield is still the Word of God, isn't it? He says, taking the shield of faith. Our faith is what? Our faith in God. He says, with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts. It's interesting, it's not described just simply as darts, but fiery. We talked about this morning how fire is designed to destroy. Well, fiery darts are going to do that and so much more, right? Not just, you know, which means if they miss their target of it being a person, it means whatever they else they hit, they're just going to burn down anyway, right? And so it's going to destroy whatever it hits no matter what. But with that shield of faith, if we know where our faith is, it's in Christ, right? The Apostle Paul talks about how he, he knew in whom he had believed, and whom he had committed his soul to, that is, God. And he was convinced God would provide for him, and he, God would be his shield. 1 John chapter 5, looking at verse 4. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is a victory that has overcome the world. Our faith has overcome the world. By having our faith in God and keeping our faith in God, not putting our faith in this, our government or our leaders and those who think they can help us, but instead keeping our faith where it belongs in God, who has never changed. All, all God wants us to do is... Is to have heaven as our home. He has provided for us the way to do that, and what we have to do is act upon it, which includes keeping our faith in God. Let's notice next First Timothy chapter one. 1 Timothy chapter one, looking at verse 19 and 20. He says, Having having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Of whom are Hyneus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, look at verse 19. Notice what happens to those who reject being a faithful servant of God. Those that return back to the world, he says, have suffered shipwreck. He's saying their life in a spiritual sense has been put in great danger. He mentions there in verse 20 the idea he delivered them up to Satan. Doesn't mean he literally took them to Satan physically. I don't know how you would even do that in the first place. But the idea simply is this they have given up on God, and God was going to deliver them and have them be punished on the judgment day. No unfaithful person goes without punishment. We may survive this life physically without God punishing us in some way, but on the day of judgment, friends, there is no escape route, there is no exit door. There's only the way of righteousness that's been, that's been given for the faithful, the place of he- heaven as their home, and there's a place waiting for those who have not. It's interesting to think about how God not only prepared a place for those who loved him, he also prepared a place for those who do not. He prepared a place for those who have not put their faith in Him. Who have walked away from Him. That's why it's important that we, if we have not obeyed the gospel, that we come back to God. If we have not obeyed the gospel, it's time we do so because there is no time like the present. The Christian must hold their faith. He says, having faith and a good conscience, we must hold on to that faith. Faith enables us to do several things. The faith enables us to withstand the fiery darts of temptation James chapter 1 12 through 14 tells us about the temptations and how we can overcome those things that when we are tempted we are able to do what we are able to overcome those things through our faith in God that we also are able to quench the fiery dart of ridicule when those around us seem to be against us we're able to overcome that we find that in 1st Peter 4 1 through 4 that we are able to overcome ridicule 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4. We're able also to deal with the pressure to conform, which I think probably has we've never seen in quiet like this before. Because we look around us today, I can say at least for my lifetime, I've never seen a quiet like this before, where we have so many today here calling foul and saying things, telling us that we, were, we are being insensitive, that we are being offensive. The Christian runs the risk of being offensive when any time we speak where the Bible speaks. That didn't stop Christ, that didn't stop the apostles, and it shouldn't stop us. We deal with the pressure to conform, and we reject it. We do not conform to the world. The Bible tells us instead we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, to prove that what is good and acceptable for the sight of God, as Paul tells us there in Romans. We tell that there in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And We also know that faith enables us to overcome discouragement. It enables us to overcome discouragement because we know the world can definitely get us down. Maybe our brethren sometimes let us down. Whatever it may be, we can overcome discouragement. As we found there also in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, we can overcome discouragement. Next, we notice the helmet of salvation also called the hope of salvation Ephesians 6 verse 17 and take the helmet of salvation and store the spirit which is the Word of God the helmet of salvation and the Christian must have confidence in their salvation When you hear people say well I hope I go to heaven that's not encouraging to me because a Christian can know that they're going to heaven When we have obeyed the Gospels, we find it revealed in the New Testament, and we keep our obedient faith in Christ, we can say, I know where I am going when this life is over. Not, I hope I'm going to heaven, but I know I'm going to heaven. Because we have done what the Bible tells us we need to be doing, and we have continued to do that. The Christian must have confidence in their salvation. The Christian soldier takes the helmet of salvation by doing two things. As we first look here at uh, 1 John 2 and verse 25, how we take the hem of salvation by believing God's promise to, us, to His children there in 1 John 2, verse 25. And this is a promise that He promised us eternal life. How we take the hem of salvation believing God's promises that when we put our obedient faith in Him and we continue to keep our faith in Him, we will have heaven as our home. We take the helmet of salvation by faithfully following God. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you are also called. And have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Those two things go hand in hand. Fight the good fight, and you will lay hold on eternal life. We keep on keeping on. We do not give up in the midst of hardship, but we press forward even more. The sword of the Spirit, Ephesians 6 and verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which he says, is the Word of God. The Word of God is an essential weapon for the Christian. It is an essential weapon for the Christian. Without God's Word, without trying to learn all we can about it and growing as much as we can, we will be unprepared. We don't have the weapon that God's given us. We do not have that ready. The Christian also has realized the Christian is helpless by trying to use other weapons. We think about other weapons so sometimes we will appeal to emotions instead. Instead the Bible will turn to our emotions. Proverbs 14 verse 12 warns us about that. John 8 verse 32 warns us about that. Emotions are not the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. The truth of God's word is the gospel. Emotions is not a weapon which we can yield and hold to be successful. We also think about another weapon that some will turn to is their own mind. A mind that is unaided and not directed by God's word. That's not a weapon. It's instead something that's going to cause us great difficulty. When we say, well, I think, I believe, I feel, that's a lot different from Second Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, isn't it? For well, the Bible tells us that all scarcity has been given by God, right? Has been breathed out by God, right? Second Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. We also fail when we try to use the weapon of human theology or, or world philosophy. When well, we know how flawed that is, right? Because it changes with the seasons. What the world says is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is not. It changes. God doesn't. God's standard of right and wrong has remained the same throughout the years. Colossians 2 and verse 8 and Jeremiah 10, 23 warn us about using human theology or world philosophy. Colossians 2, 8 and Jeremiah 10, 23. The Word of God is also identified as a sharp, two-edged sword, which is able to pierce between the, the heart of man and to divide and to give between the ideas of what we think is right and wrong and discern what the truth really is. Hebrews four verse twelve says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner. Now notice is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible has a way to reveal to us only the things that we do, but also the reasons why. That's why he says the intent of the heart. It tells us and reveals to us what we are doing and why we we are doing those things. Why do we do certain things? There's reasons behind the things we're doing. If we're honest with ourselves, we can find the reasons why and we can correct it. The Word of God has that ability to make us who we ought to be. Some lessons for us today no soldier goes to war unprepared no soldier goes to war unprepared one of the saddest things you'll hear are soldiers who have been in different places and they ran out of ammo, they ran out of different arms and they say how terrified they were because they felt like they were just completely wide open they were prepared in their case as a physical soldier but now they're not because they've used all all of their defenses What's interesting about the Christian defense is you cannot use it all up. As long as you keep your obedient faith in God, you are that dedicated servant of God, having your faith in Him, clinging to Him, your faith doesn't run out like, like an ammunition would. Your shield of faith will not falter unless your faith does. See, our armor is dependent upon us. Our faith... Our knowledge of God's word, our dedication to him, our obedience to his commands, and having all those things in place, the, the Christian armor will last and stand the test of time. It will not be one that falters. A soldier prepares for battle, and so must the Christian. And how does the Christian prepare? We prepare by taking God's word and keeping our faith in, in his in him we, we prepare by studying and knowing God's word and keeping our faith in him think about this as well only prepared soldiers survive only prepared soldiers survive some of the sad things to read about those who were unprepared in battle for various reasons some were left behind some were dropped off without supplies and how they some in their case some did not survive but in a spiritual sense, there is no, you might survive. It is, you will not survive. You will not survive a spiritual battle if we are unprepared. Without the shield of faith, without the preparation of the gospel of peace, without the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, all those things we've talked about, if we don't have all those things, we will not survive. Therefore, we must have those things. The Christian faces hardships that ungodly, worldly people do not understand. There's a reason why people are worldly and ungodly. Because they embrace things that a faithful Christian does not. So they cannot possibly understand the struggles of trying to endure temptations and overcome them. They, the world, worldly and ungodly people can't understand the, the battle to not conform to be like them. The worldly, ungodly person cannot understand what it means to be a faithful servant of God because you cannot understand what you do not know. That's why we put our faith in God, not in worldly people. Not in the traditions of man or in the teachings of man, but we put our faith and keep our faith in God. Battles of temptation, ridicule, and persecution require dedicated and prepared Soldiers. You think about the apostles and all those disciples in the New Testament during the time of Christ, those who survived are those who prepared. We talked about before those who were martyred for their faith, which means those who died because they would not renounce Christ as the Son of God, they would not give up their faith in Christ, and they literally died for it. We talked about how history reveals men being beheaded, men being dragged behind carts and chariots until they were just torn asunder men being burned alive. We talked about how Nero used, put Christians on stakes and used them to light the pathway to his palace. That is persecution. But doing what is necessary to remain faithful to God, if it meant going to that stake and being burned alive, that is faith. That is the faith that gets you to heaven. Because denouncing Christ and giving up your faith in God so you don't endure hardship in this life Friends, on Judgment Day, you have much more to fear than just ridicule. You have much more to fear than being burned alive. The Bible also tells us that the place prepared for the faithful belongs only to the faithful, and the place prepared for the wicked belongs only to the wicked. And both are eternal in nature. The question is where do we want to spend our eternity? Only the true Christian can win the spiritual war. Therefore, we must fight the good fight. 2 Timothy 4 verses 7 and 8 what does the Apostle Paul say to Timothy? I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That is really step by step how you go to heaven. You fight the good fight. You finish the race which means you don't give up. You remain faithful to the end. He says I have kept the faith. And as a result look what he says in verse 8. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will get to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. If we want to go to heaven, we need to be prepared for the pathway that will get us there. This morning we know the Bible teaches, as you find in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 22, we must hear the word of God. The Bible also tells us we must believe that Christ is the Son of God, which you find in John 12, verse 44. We believe in what we have heard, and as a result, from Luke 132 and 3, we repent of our sins. We confess that Christ is the Son of God, Romans 10 and verse 9. We are immersed in baptism, having our sins removed, washed away, being placed in the body of Christ, in the body of Christ, Acts 2:38, Galatians 3: 26 and 27. And then we remain faithful to God to our dying day. John 14 verse 15 tells us, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." If we are a Christian, if we have fallen away, we need to make ourselves rededicated to Christ. We want to repent of our sins and determine to be the faithful servant that God wants us to be. You can repent of those things, make those things right before God. And if need be, we'd we'll be glad to pray for you and assist you in any way that we can. That's that we stand and sing the song that's been selected. There's a stranger as